Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. I mean, listen, when I was in high school, I would have loved something like Winter Retreat, right? I mean, you too, man. I Like, like think back to when you were in high school, because um, high school, like that would be so helpful because high school is complicated, isn't it, right? You remember how complicated you had friends, but then you had drama, and you had grudges, and you had conflict, you know? Middle school, high school really is that, that season when uh, friendship gets tested, and then grudges start to form, um, which is where we're going today. See, for the past couple Sundays, we've been talking about uh, how do you build healthy friendships, but today, we're going to talk about what happens when friendship breaks down. In other words, the question that we're going to go after today is, what do you do when someone hurts you, right? What do you do when a friend or someone close to you hurts you? <laughs> and if we're honest, the answer normally is this, uh, hold a grudge. That's what we normally, like, think back to when you were in high school, right? You, you probably had a friend that, like, went behind your back, or they said something about you, or they, you know, did something that kind of hurt you. And so it was natural when you were in high school to hold a grudge, or maybe you had um, uh, someone that was like a frenemy, you know, frenemies, it's like they're a friend, but they're kind of an enemy because you don't quite trust them, and you always have this little bit of grudge. Uh, or maybe you had someone um, in your high school or people like this, uh, mean girls, right? Maybe, uh, and so maybe you were holding a grudge against them. Maybe you were the mean girls, okay, and you were holding a grudge against, <laughs> against everyone else. Maybe as I'm talking about high school grudges right now, you think back and you still have a grudge against people uh, from high school. Like I, I, uh, I saw this comedian talking about a grudge that, that she still had with someone from high school, and oh my goodness, it made me laugh, and it's where we're going today, okay? So just enjoy this 25 seconds. Check it out. I Googled my high school arch nemesis the other day. <laughs> we all do it. You Google people you used to hate to see if their lives suck now, right? Google my high school arch nemesis, and the first result was a mugshot, and it made my day. It made me very happy. I was just hoping she was fat now, too, but prison? Like, wow. <laughs> Beyond my wildest dreams. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I'm petty and I'm filled with hate. I hold grudges forever. <laughs> like, like, we laugh because we know that feeling, right? When someone hurts us and we hold a grudge and we kind of secretly hope their life falls apart, right? Like, that's, that's just normal. And listen, this isn't just a high school thing, right? This is an adult thing. This is an all of us thing. Like, it's easy to get hurt and hold grudges with people at work, with people at home, with family, right? It's, it's like whenever you're in a relationship with anyone, it's inevitable that there's going to be someone that, that hurts you. Because here's what happens in relationships. Normally, there's conflict. There's always conflict in relationship. And then whenever there's conflict, someone gets hurt. Sometimes both people get hurt. And then the person that gets hurt, it's so natural to just hold a grudge. But if you hold a grudge for too long, then bitterness starts to form. And if you have that bitterness for too long, you start to bring that not only into that relationship, but into every relationship that you're in, right? And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the grudge. I want to talk about what happens when we get hurt and we hold on to that grudge. And by the way, it goes by a lot of different names. Like you could call it uh, unforgiveness. You could call it unresolved conflict. But for today, we're going to call it a grudge. And I want to illustrate what happens when you and I 
hold a grudge. Okay, so I need you to imagine with me. Uh, I want you to pretend that someone close to you comes up to you and um, they have a knife and they cut your arm. Okay. Now again, probably never happened, but just go with me. Pretend that like a you know a friend, a you know spouse, a neighbor, someone close to you come up to you, cut you, and now you got a wound on your arm. Well, holding a grudge is like picking up the knife and holding the knife. Right? It's the same knife that they used to hurt you, and holding a grudge is holding the knife. Now this is um, this is just a, a knife from home. This is our steak knife. Uh, from home, but for today, this is going to represent the grudge knife, okay? So right now, I am literally holding a grudge. You got it, okay. So a few things about the grudge knife, okay? First, when you get hurt, when you and I get hurt, we can't help but pick up the knife that the person who hurt us dropped. It's as natural as breathing. They drop the knife, we pick up the knife. It's what happens. The other thing you got to know is there's a few things you can do with the grudge knife. Um, first, you can use the grudge knife to get even, right? It's like, you hurt me, well, I hurt you back. You talk about me, I'm going to talk about you. And in some ways, this almost feels like a productive use of the grudge, right? This is like, you know, well, I mean, I got to get even because I got to balance the scales of justice, right? We say things like, well, they had it coming, right? Like, this is what it means to get even, but you're smart, you know this, I don't have to spend a lot of time here. The problem with using the grudge knife to get even is that it does nothing to heal the wound on your arm, right? In fact, when you use the grudge knife, you just add hurt on top of hurt. So you already know that. And to be honest, most of us are like too polite for that. So normally, instead of using the knife, when we get hurt, we just, we just hold on to the knife. Right, kind of gives us maybe some power, gives us a little bit of comfort, and sometimes we tell ourselves, "Well, at least I'm not using the knife." But what ends up happening when we when we just hold the knife is we've got this like passive aggressive energy that like impacts our thoughts and our attitudes as we kind of hold the person at arm's length as we hold the knife. Okay, so let me illustrate what I'm talking about. Um, I want you to you know pretend that you and your spouse got in a fight. Okay, that's probably never happened. I know. Um, I'm just kidding. It happens all the time. Okay, so anyways, so you and your spouse got in a fight. Well, the next morning, you go up to your spouse, and you say, hey, honey, how are you? And she says, fine. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, she says, fine. And you're like, well, you don't seem fine. And she says, why don't I seem fine to you, right? It's like, this is what happens when you when you hold the grudge knife. Now, again, normally it's way more subtle than that, right? Like normally when someone hurts you, you pick up and hold the grudge knife and then you just ignore their texts. Or someone hurts you and you pick up the grudge knife and then you negatively judge everything they post on social media, right? Or you pick up the grudge knife and then when you see them in person, you, you know, you're, you're, you're polite, but you're holding them at arm's length and and you're just not friends. And sometimes, sometimes, um, sometimes we try to pretend like we're not holding on to the grudge knife. Like sometimes we try to ignore the grudge knife and we say things like, well, I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I've moved on, you know, and we're waving the knife around, right? Front row, I'm so sorry. You guys are so nervous right now. It's okay. I'm, I'm, uh, don't worry, I'm really good at holding grudges. Okay, so anyways, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to hold on to this. <laughs> That's what we do, right? Or let me ask you this. Has someone ever hurt you 
even though they were upset with someone else? Or have you ever hurt someone even though you were upset with someone else? It's, I think it's because when you hold the grudge knife, you can't help but hurt the people around you. And have you noticed that it's really hard to have peace when you're walking around with a knife? So back to our question. So what do you do? What do you do when someone close to you hurts you? Or maybe a better question is, what should you do when someone hurts you? Because if you're in a relationship with anyone, it is inevitable that you are going to get hurt. And when you get hurt, it is inevitable that you are going to pick up the knife. But the question is, like, what do you do with the knife in your hand? How do you respond in a way that doesn't add hurt on top of hurt? How do you respond in a way where you actually have peace and deep friendship? And so to answer this question, we're actually going to look at a relationship that David had with someone who hurt him over and over and over and over again. And, and, and the story we're going to look at today, um, this is a true story, but I'll just warn you, it is an extreme story, Okay. But David was hurt, and just like you and me, David picked up the knife, but what he did with the knife is so helpful for us for how we should respond when we pick up and hold the knife. So today, we're going to look at a relationship between David and King Saul. Now, some of you Bible nerds, you know all about the relationship and all about the history of David and Saul, but for the rest of us normal people, okay, we're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch you up to how this relationship was formed and how the relationship broke down between David and Saul. So the um, story starts this way. Saul actually was anointed by God to be the first king of Israel, and that's a really good day um, for Saul. Unfortunately, Saul disobeyed God, and then he lost the kingdom. Uh, in other words, God said, there's going to be another person that becomes king after you, and it's not going to be your kids. Well, around that time, uh, David, this little shepherd boy, was anointed to be the next king of Israel. Um, well, the first time we see David and Saul ever interact is when Saul actually hires David to play the harp for him. So David's like the first OG worship leader, okay? And so he shows up and he plays the harp, and that's how their relationship gets formed. The next time we see David and Saul interact is a story that you might have heard before. It's David and Goliath. Right? This big giant comes and threatens Israel, and this little shepherd boy, David, shows up and defeats the giant with a sling. Well, everyone starts celebrating David because he rescued the nation. And as David gets celebrated, Saul gets upset, and he gets jealous because they're celebrating David and not him. And this is where the relationship between David and Saul begins to break down. So then with his jealousy, and this is the part of the story that's really extreme, but it's true. This is what happened. Saul gets so jealous that he takes a spear and he tries to kill David, right? I mean, you talk about the knives coming out like this is for real. Saul takes the, and he tries to kill David. And as you can imagine, David now has a grudge because this king just tried to kill him. Well, the next thing that happens is that Saul tries to kill David Again, okay, so now the relationship's really broken down. The next thing that happens is that Saul asks David to marry one of his daughters. And this is weird, right? This is like a weird left turn to the story, right? Like if I was David, I'd be like, hey, king, thanks for that offer. That's really awesome. But quick question, are we cool 
You know, like you tried to kill me twice and now you want me to marry your daughter. Like, are you sure we're okay? Right. But that's what happens. And to answer the question, uh, they weren't cool because the next thing that happens is that Saul tries to kill David a third time. And you know what happens after that? Saul tries to kill David a fourth time. And so then David's like, listen, try to kill me once, you know, shame on you. Try to kill me four times. What am I still doing here? You know, it's like, I got to leave. So then he runs away because this mad king keeps trying to kill him. Well, Saul takes all of his men and starts following and hunting down David. So then David decides, I'm going to hide out in some caves because Israel has thousands of caves. And David thinks, if I just stay on the run and hide out in these caves, maybe I'll be protected from Saul. Well, then Saul takes 3,000 men to hunt down David and to kill him. Okay, so imagine Imagine you're a David, okay, and your father-in-law has tried to kill you multiple times, right? Like, like you thought your father-in-law was bad, right? It's like he's trying to kill him multiple times. I mean, imagine being David and the grudge and the bitterness and the anger and the unforgiveness. It's like, don't you know what he's done to me? Don't you know how he has, he has ruined my life? Like I'm on the run. I'm hiding out in caves. I can't even have a normal life because this mad king is jealous of me. I haven't even done anything. And I'm sure somewhere in David's mind, he starts thinking, oh, if only I could get even. If only I could make him hurt. If only I could ruin his life like he has ruined mine. And all of that is the backstory to 1 Samuel 24. So here's what happened. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. So again, these are the caves they're hiding out in. Okay. <clears throat> so then Saul came to the sheep pens along the way and a cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. Um, because when you got to go, you got to go, okay? Even in the Bible, even in the Bible. Um, I know that's a weird statement, and you're like, why do they include that in the story, okay? And here's why. It's because on uh, this particular day, in this particular cave, in this particular moment, David and his men were far back in that same cave. Like, what are the of all the thousands of caves, David's right there. It's like, this is the moment, you know? Come on, after all he's done against you, and now here's Saul, and his men aren't around him. It's just him, and he's weak, and he's defenseless, and he's exposed. Like, literally, he's exposed. You know what I mean? It's like, here's your enemy. You know, it's like you dream of this moment when your enemy is hurt and weak in front of you. And maybe, I'm sure somewhere in David's mind, he starts thinking, wait a second, maybe God is setting this up for me. Because after all, I'm the next king of Israel. And after all he's done against me, here he is. Maybe God is delivering him into my hands. In fact, that's what his friends were saying. Look at what his friends said. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of. David, come on, man. We've been waiting for this day. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. It's like, come on, man. This is providence. Like, this is the way it's supposed to be. It's like David, you know, it's almost like David. God wants you to have this grudge. He wants you to get even. He has set it up. He has lined it up for you to get even with your enemy who has hurt you finally, you have a chance to make him hurt, just like he has hurt 
you. And so what does David do? Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. What? Yeah, it goes on. Look. And then afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. Wait, David, are you kidding me? You had your enemy right there and you feel bad because you kind of tore his shirt a little bit like you. What? And then David goes on. No, look what he says to his men. He said to his men, the Lord forbid. Don't miss this. The Lord, you know how you were saying the Lord is telling me to get even. The Lord is telling me to pay him. No, 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 no. The Lord forbid that I should do. I'm not saying he hasn't wronged me. I'm not saying he's not wrong. I'm not saying there should be some payback, but the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. And so here's David. With his enemy, weak, vulnerable, after all he's done, David dropped the knife and let him go. Which is when he gets every historical precedent. This is not what kings do. If you're a king, you kill the previous king. That's how it goes. And yet, and yet David didn't do that. In fact, let me just be honest. We don't even do this, Right? Like, what happens when the person who hurts you, what happens when their life begins to crumble? What happens when you see, like, a little, you know, weakness in their life? What do we do? Oh, we celebrate that, don't we? Oh, we get so, so, so excited about that. Sometimes we even say things like, yeah, man, karma's a bad thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's what you say. I know. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you deserve it. After all you've done against me, you deserve to hurt. Sometimes we even imagine the moment. Oh, what if, what if the person who hurt you was like weak in front of you? It's like, this is the moment to kick them when they're down. This is the moment to pay them back and say, serves you right. And yet David, when he had that moment, dropped the knife and let him go. And the reason that David was able to drop the knife with his enemy in the cave with him is because David had already dropped the knife to God. Don't miss this. The secret to forgiveness, the secret to peace, the secret to letting go of that bitterness is this. Take the offense to God. Take the knife to God. Which, by the way, is the opposite of what we normally do. Or let me just be honest. I almost always skip this step. Because you know what I do when someone hurts me? Well, first I grab the grudge knife because it's what you do. And then sometimes I just try to pretend like I'm not holding on to the knife. You know? And I'm like, it's okay. I'm fine. It's no big deal. You know? And I'm waving the knife around. Or sometimes, this is fun. Sometimes I'll gather up my friends and I'll, I'll bring the grudge knife to them. And I'll say things like, can you believe what they said to me? Can you believe what he did to me? Like, come on, can you? Like, listen, he said that to me, to 
to Pastor Steve. How could he say that to Pastor Steve? You know, sometimes I'll even involve my wife in this because Catherine is so like supportive and kind and wonderful. And I'll be like, Catherine, come on. I got to tell you this story. Now, Holland, you're not going to believe this. Can you believe he said that to your husband? You know, it's like, I know, I know. How could he do that? But do you know what I almost never do? I almost never pray. God, can you believe what he said? I almost never bring the knife to God. But David did. And the reason that we know that David did is, and this is so cool, we have access to David's prayer journals. Like if you've ever wanted to know what David prayed in specific moments, there's many Psalms where David actually laid out um, what he was thinking and what he was praying. Let me show you an example. <clears throat> so Psalm 142 of David. Okay, that's how we know who wrote it. When he was in the cave a prayer. By the way, this is in your Bible. This is so cool. If you go to Psalm 142, it says David wrote this. And so if you've ever wanted to know what David was praying when he was in the cave, this is it. And look at what he says. I pour out before him, not before my friends. I don't just try to pretend like it's not there. No, I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. I bring the knife before him. I take it to God. That's who I take it to. In fact, here's another one. Look at this. This is Psalm 59. Again, this is in your Bible. That part in italics is all in the Bible. It says, of David, okay, when Saul had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. Have you ever wanted to know what David was thinking, what David was praying when Saul had his house surrounded as he was trying to kill him? Well, here's what he prayed. See how they lie in wait for me. Do you hear it? Like, do you hear the grudge knife prayer? Oh, God, don't you see what they're doing to me? See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. God, don't you see it? Don't you see what they've done, how they've made me feel, how they've hurt me? Like David brings his messy, frustrated, angry, grudge knife prayers to God. And listen, God invites you to pray those same prayers. I love what, I love what John Ortberg says. He says this, Prayer isn't a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. <sighs> to be honest. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes I'll pray these prayers that are like flowery and, and fake. You know what I mean? It's like sometimes we're like, oh, most gracious Lord of hosts, would thine eyes see thine servant, you know? And I think sometimes God's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Can we talk about the knife in your hand, you know? Like, can we talk about how angry you are for a second? Like, you just left that conversation and you were fuming mad. Can we talk about that? Can you just be honest with me? Can you just, can you just tell me how you feel? And David prayed these grudge knife prayers to God. This is, this is incredible. 
He did this from the time that Saul started attacking him to the time when Saul was in the cave for seven years. For seven years. Grudge knife prayers to God. For seven years, angry, frustrated prayers to God. For seven years, God, don't you see it? God, 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 God don't you know how they've hurt me? For seven years. And so I just want to pause here for a second. Because some of you, like, you have been hurt. And the hurt is deep. And unfortunately, someone like me has stood on a stage, or maybe you saw a TED Talk or something where you've started to believe, well, you should just forgive and forget, you know, and you should just pray and forgive, you know, like that's the way it should work. And can I just be honest? Forgiveness is a long journey. And the deeper the hurt, the longer the journey. And so some of you need to know, like, this didn't get solved overnight for David. It was seven years. And for some of you, it's going to be months of these grudge knife prayers, years of these grudge knife prayers. But if you're in that situation, can I just come on? The encouragement to you is don't just don't try to pretend like you're not holding on to the knife. And don't keep bringing the knife to your friends. Take the knife to God. Like tell him. And I'm telling you, when you do, like something, something powerful happens. In fact, let me show you another grudge knife prayer by, by David. This is Psalm 38. He says this, many have become my enemies without cause. You know, this is classic grudge knife prayer. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. You know, they've hurt me. But I want you to see what David prayed right before this verse. Look at this. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Because when you start to pray these grudge knife prayers and you're so angry and so frustrated, what you begin to discover is that the person who hurt you is not the only one at fault. And sometimes if you're in this long enough, you begin to realize that my enemy and me are not that different. That I've hurt people too. I've held grudges too. I need forgiveness too. See, the reason that David was able to lay down his grudge knife to God was because he recognized that God had laid down his grudge knife against him. Because listen, I have sinned. Like, I have disobeyed God. I have offended God. And when God had the grudge knife in his hand, and he had every right to pay me back for what I'd done, you know what he used the grudge knife to do? He used the grudge knife to crucify his son for me. To forgive me. To save a wretch like me and to save a wretch like you. And the reason we can take our grudge knife and lay it down before God is because God has already taken the grudge knife and laid it down before us. And so David, for seven years, praying these prayers, David, for seven years, realizing, man, there's some fault in me as well. For seven years, being honest with God, he's laying this down until finally, 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 Saul is in the cave with him. And it's almost like in that moment, David looked at Saul and said, 
well, I already left my grudge knife with God, so you're free to go. And so the first step, because all of us have something that we're holding on to, and this is like the biggest step is to take the offense to God. Take the knife to God. And only then, only then will we be ready for the second step, which is really the step of reconciliation, which is this. Take the hurt to the offender, but leave your knife with God. Okay, and that's a, that's, a, that's a big deal. Take the hurt to the offender, leave your knife with God. This is what David did. After, after David let Saul go, David actually uh, left the cave and called out to Saul. And I want you to see what David says. And I want you to like, just imagine you're there and I want you to hear the words that David chooses to use. Here's what he says. David went out of the cave and called out to Saul. Okay, so he let him go. And he said this, my Lord, the king. That interesting. My Lord, the king, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. It goes on. He said to Saul, see my father. Look at this piece of robe in my hand. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. You hear the words that he chooses. Notice David doesn't like leave the cave and say, hey, Saul, you murderer. Hey, Saul, ruiner of my life. No, he says, Saul, my Lord, the king. Saul, my father. And then he bows down. Like, these are the words, these are the actions of someone who has left the knife with God. But don't miss this. David doesn't mince words, does he? Like, he honors Saul, but then he is honest about the hurt. He is honest about the pain. And he says, Saul, we got to talk. I haven't done anything, but you are hunting me down. Come on, Saul, you are hurting me. Saul, you're trying to take my life. Saul, we got to get honest here about the hurt that you have caused me. But David does all this. He has the honest, the real conversation without a knife in his hand. And listen, there will never be reconciliation between you and your friend who has hurt you as long as you're holding on to the knife. You got to let it go with God, and then you got to have the honest conversation with the person. And sometimes it's in these conversations. Actually, I would say most of the time, at least it is with me. When I'm in these conversations, I not only talk about how they have hurt me, I start getting honest about my faults too. And I say, hey, um, when you said this to me, man, that hurt me. But as I've been, as I've been praying and processing it, I started to realize, man, I said some things too. And that's on me. I'm sorry. I had a guy at our campus actually do this with me. Just so brave and vulnerable of him. He, he, he came up to me. We had, we had been in these conversations um, that were hard conversations about some things that were going on in his life. And I was challenging him to do certain things. And I know there were times where in my challenge, and you know I'd wanted the best for him, but in my challenge, I just... I just went too far. And so he came up to me about a month ago and he said, hey, hey, Steve, you got a second? I was like, yeah. He goes, hey, um, I don't know if you remember this, but a few months ago you said this. And that really hurt me. And uh, and I've been praying about it. 
And I've been telling God about just how hurt that made me. And I just wanted to come and talk to you and clear the air and say, I'm sorry that I've been holding on to that bitterness against you. Do you, do you, know, how much, do you know how much bravery that takes? To have the real, like the honest conversation. And can I tell you something? When he did that, that made our relationship stronger. He's a better person than me. That made our relationship stronger. And listen, when you drop the grudge knife with God and you have the real conversation, it will actually make your friendships, your relationship stronger with your spouse, with your friend, with the coworker. This is the hope of reconciliation. But some of you are listening and you're like, sounds great, Steve, but you don't know my story. Like, you don't know how bad they have hurt me. And maybe you're asking this question, but what if the person isn't safe? Right? Like, what if the person has hurt me so bad? Or what if their actions show me they are not safe? Okay? And first off, I'm so glad you asked this question. <laughs> because, because forgiveness only takes one person. You. But reconciliation takes two people. And both people have to drop the knives. Both people have to be ready. And importantly, and this is so huge, both people have to be safe. And if they're not safe, what do you do? Put your knife down, but put your walls up. In other words, forgiveness is still on you. You still drop the knife with God, but it doesn't mean that you become buddy buddies with them. You know what I mean? Like, by the way, that's what David did. See, David recognized that Saul was not safe. And so I want you to see just the very end of this chapter. This is, this is what David said. So David gave his oath to Saul, which is very important because what's the oath he made? He said, Saul, I'm not going to hurt you. No matter what you do against me, my oath to you is I'm not going to hurt you. Then Saul returned home. But look at this. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. What does that mean? That means Saul went back to the palace. But guess who didn't join him? David. David said, you go that way, but I'm going this way because Saul is not safe. And some of you might have someone that you're working on forgiving and, and, and maybe somehow you thought like we need to become best friends with them. No, if they're not safe, you forgive them, but then you put the walls up with them. By the way, do you know what happened two chapters after this moment? Saul tried to kill David again. You know what David did? David spared his life again. Because you can't change the other person. You can't control what they do. You can't change their heart. There is only one thing you are responsible for. And it's this. What are you going to do with the knife in your hand? And the choice is yours. What are you going to do? Maybe for some of you, you're like, I'm just going to keep holding on to it. Because if you knew what they did to me, if you knew how they hurt me, 
If you knew how they offended me, man, if you knew what they did against me and you're gonna keep waving the knife around in all of your relationships and hurting the people that are close to you as you hold on to that bitterness. Or maybe, maybe today is gonna be the day that you go. All right, God, let's talk. Because they hurt me, but I'm gonna give this to you. And some of you, you've been on the journey of forgiveness and you have dropped the knife off to God like 70 times. And today is going to be another day. 71, God, here it is. I'm not going to pay them back. I'm not going to hold that grudge anymore. And then tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and the knife's going to be in your hand and you're going to go, nope. They hurt me, God but I'm giving that to you. And some of you, today is day one, and you've been holding on to this for a long time. But today's the day. So here's what we're gonna do. Here, across the campuses, the sermon's not done. This is your moment. As you think about that spouse, that coworker, that family member, that friend, and the knife that you've been holding on to, today's the day that you're gonna drop it off with God. And so the bands are going to load. We're going to sing a song. And this is your moment with God to give him that knife. Because David would say the way that we fight our battles is not with a knife in hand. We fight our battles with surrender and forgiveness. So right now, what are you going to do with the knife in your hand? But I'm surrounded by you. 
It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.